This is the Frogcast. Welcome to the Frogcast. We are excited to be talking with you today. We've got a big victory over Kansas where maybe it was weather or maybe it's because we were running it up, but we had a running clock at the end of the game. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about expectations going forward, facing Iowa State. A lot of was going on in the Big 12 this weekend, and we had an amazing amount of recruits, amazing list of recruits that were on campus this weekend. Jeremy and Jeremiah are going to take us inside and give us some details on it. That and so much more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, guys, I know that it has kind of been a joke for the last several, uh, almost several years now, but when TCU and Kansas play, um, it's predicted to be a blowout, and my goodness, those games have been closer than any of us have ever wanted to to, to embrace. 2014, 2015, 2016, these games have not been pretty. But the game was not pretty Saturday night either, but the Frogs won 43 to nothing. There's so much that we kind of just want to celebrate about this. There's not a whole lot we want to break down, but let's just kind of all give a quick hit about what we got excited about from this game and how you might describe the environment inside of Eamon G. Carter. We had a night game. I know it's kind of a joke, but we had a night game. Jeremy, what did you see from this team Friday, Saturday night with a big win over Kansas? Man, I want to talk about this game all night, man. This is, this is one of the funnest games I've ever been a part of and just witnessed in person. It was so good from start to finish. I mean, the defense, I, I said earlier this week on uh, Bill King's show out in Tyler, that I do every week with him. And I, and I told him that I'm starting to see glimpses of TCU's defense, uh, what they look like when they were playing in the conference USA and mountain West, just how dominant they were when they were winning games, 17 to 10. And you knew all the defense had to do was shut down or the offense just had to score 17 points and you'd win because the defense was so dominant. And now they're doing it in the big 12. And even though it's against Kansas, that was as strong as a defensive performance I've ever seen a Gary Patterson defense have. I mean, you had negative 25 yards rushing. You had three yards of total offense in the fourth quarter. And Jeremiah was doing on the sidelines because the clock was supposed to be running late in the game. I don't know if you guys picked that up on, on the uh, telecast, but uh, Kansas ended up getting 18 yards on their final drive, which gave 21 for the game. But from start to finish, that was pretty much as dominant an effort on the defensive side of the ball. I've ever seen a Gary Patterson team have, The atmosphere was great. It probably wasn't as packed as I thought it would be because everyone kind of knew by the 24-0 score at halftime that it was over, and you had inclement weather heading toward Fort Worth, so people probably wanted to get out of Dodge pretty fast. But overall, in the beginning of the game, it was was pretty loud. Uh, Not games at Eamon Carter Stadium are just a blast to be a part of. And, uh, you know, it was good to see TCU finally get that monkey off their back of playing – down to Kansas's level. I mean, every time they've played them since joining the Big 12, it seems that no matter what, they've always played Kansas tough, and this time they went out and dominated. And I think a lot of people are finally opening their eyes to how good this TCU football team really is. Jeremiah, we talked last week about how frustrating it's been to watch the Frogs struggle against Kansas. And let's, you know, I don't want to put them down, but let's face it, this is a really bad football program. What did you see that flipped the switch for uh, for the team this season to be able to just kind of come out, set the tone, blow the blow, them off, blow the doors off, and not let their foot off the gas? You know, that was the most impressive thing to me. Um, you're 39 point favorites. Uh, all the talk all week long is this. You know, don't even. T- I think Tex- uh, Dave Campbell's Texas football said. Don't even waste your time tuning in. It's going to be a blowout. It would have been really easy for those guys to just kind of show up and just go through the motions. But, man, I'm telling you, this is why this team is different. They showed up. They strapped on their helmets, and they walked out there like they were playing Alabama. And they they attacked Kansas from the opening whistle until the game was over. Um, in the post-game press conference, uh, Ridwan Isahaku and Traven Howard, they both said the same thing. So I know this is something that's being said on their defense they said their motto is suffocate and they just say to each other suffocate suffocate and that's all they talk about and so it's that mentality these guys are hunting together and that was my biggest thing I took out of this game was yeah it's Kansas um but it's been Kansas since they joined the big 12 
and those games were always close. But th- this game, it just showed me this team is locked in. They're taking it one week at a time. It's not cliche. They're, they are living this out, and uh, they are really, really looking locked in right now. So I was very impressed uh, with, with the way they showed up and played on Saturday. Daniel, I know we've talked a lot about atmosphere, about, you know, things are going right and maybe sometimes when the camera doesn't look so good and maybe um, everybody would rather stay in this tailgate and have their seventh beer than come in and cheer for the team. It seemed like we had a really good crowd. It seemed like even in the face of the weather, and I know we thought you might have a few more people there, but it is Kansas. But I was impressed with what I saw on television from the crowd. You're always there. and I always have a critical eye for the crowd. What was your take on the atmosphere at Amon Carter? I thought it was pretty darn good. Um, I, I took about a few minutes after we after the, uh, after the initial kickoff um, for it to really fill in, but um, but no, it was it was a good crowd. The only thing missing was the returned Kansas ticket seats, which is up there on the uh, northwest at the top, on the northwest side. And um, but no, it was it was we were loud everyone was into it we were rowdy um everyone kind of bailed at the after the halftime but uh that happens and you know it's a blowout and you know weather's coming um i left a few minutes early uh to avoid the weather and um but i have to ride the shuttle because i'm poor so (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it takes a little extra time to get back to my car and get home so Anyway, uh, I, no, I thought it was great. And I, in fact, I saw some pictures uh, posted online today that showed a lot less people than I thought were there because it was so loud and into it. The students showed up great. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I thought it was fine. But, um, of course, there's always going to be people going to complain about it, but I thought it was pretty good considering. And um, if it had been a bigger matchup, the place would be jammed, so I'm not worried about it. Yeah, I mean, it was, hey, Jeff, it was it was probably 42,000, and that was a legit number, I think, at the beginning of the game, but I, I was standing up there by the uh, the scoreboard in the north end zone at halftime, and I watched probably ten to 15,000 people leave, um, so, I, you know, I, there was bad weather coming in, and I think there was probably 25,000 maybe to start the third quarter, and there might have been 15,000 left in the fourth quarter, so... It was pretty pretty slim there at the end. But, yeah, it was a solid crowd at the beginning of the game. You know, I was impressed with the turnout. If for no other reason, I, I was following the weather all week. And, I, you know, Tuesday I just th- I saw the weather, the 24-hour, I mean the 24, the update for by the hour. And, and at 6.30 it was supposed to just start pouring. And I thought, oh, great, we're going to have 12,000 people in the stands when the game starts. And then as you inch towards, uh, closer to Thursday, it looked like the, the storms were going to get pushed further and further back. And we were able to kick off under a beautiful sky. So, you know, that we were able to get that game in, that we were able to have some, some great moments to have a great environment for, for the fans, for the students who have turned out really well this year, as well as for recruits. I don't think you could have asked for much more, aside from the fact, I mean, on top of the fact that we blew them out 43 to nothing. Well, there's a lot to take away from this game, because I, I, I do agree with you, Jeremy. There's a, there's a whole lot that we can talk about from this game. Jeremy, what was, one of your, uh, what was one of your favorite moments of this game when you look back on what the offense was able to do, defense was able to do, even you know special teams with Turpin being Turpin? Man, that felt like 2015 all over again. What did you see that you kind of got you put the hair on the back of your head stand up? Well, I already talked about the defense a little bit and how well they played. Um, Kenny did a really good job, too. Kenny's just quietly having a big time year. He's got 15 touchdown passes now with only three interceptions. I mean, he's just making great decisions. I think his uh, completion percentage is around 70%. He had another good game, man. He was throwing the ball right on the money. I mean, out of all the passes he was throwing the other night, the one to Taj was great. The opening 39-yard pass to Diars was great on that first drive. Uh, he avoided a, uh, a rush, uh, escaped the pocket, hit Jalen Rager for 22 yards with a dart. And, I mean, he just made some throws – Saturday night that he's been making all your, you know, the, the, the past two or three games against Kansas state, he, he threw the ball well as well. So he's, he's really improving it. And it's, it's really starting to raise the question around the nation. Like, you know, this, this guy is really playing some good football. Maybe TCU is part of the discussion for the playoffs because look how well Kenny Hill's playing and not to mention the strong defense, but some plays of the game that I just really liked. I mean, obviously 
you mentioned Cavante Turpin. It, I, I said to Jeremiah in the press box, it looks like his freshman year. That's the thing we've been missing with Turp. Um, from last year, he wasn't really healthy. And, and this year, we were just kind of waiting to see him break out. And we kept, you know, the, the way the wind was blowing from, from south to north, we were waiting for him to get a low-line low kick and, and the punter to outkick his coverage. We were waiting for him to do something because it was a perfect condition for him to make a good uh, return on the night. But what he did for that 90-yarder, I mean, that was basically all him. He runs backwards, avoids a bunch of tackles, and then he streaks down the sideline. And it, me and Jeremiah were cracking up at the guy trying to catch him because he was running like Incredible Hulk, trying to do the Hulk smash on him, just the way his fists were flaring up and down. We were cracking ourselves up in the press box. It's not funny to everyone else, but me and Jeremiah were having a great laugh out of it. But the uh, defense, I mean, I liked seeing Ross Blacklock getting in there, getting some pressure. Uh, there's so many good plays on both sides of the ball. I can't even name them all, but man, it was just, like I said earlier, just a, just a great dominant effort on both sides of the ball. Well, not to play Debbie Downer. I want to push back a little bit on something you wrote on our latest article on the, on the, on the site, Jeremy, I was disappointed as well in, in some of the push our offensive line got, especially when we were down there on the red zone. DRS got stuck inside of the three and we couldn't punch that thing in. What do you attribute that to? Um, and I'll just ask you this question now because we're going to get asked it later. Is Patrick Morris going to be back anytime soon? Because there were times where I thought we can't run the ball very well against Kansas. I know Kenny, you know, compensated for it and lit the scoreboard up, but I was I was not happy with O line play. Yeah, that that was a big concern of mine too, and I wrote about it. it when you have a a big offensive line like TCU has, and they're inside the three yard line, you can't punch it in against against Kansas. That that's going to raise your eyebrows a little bit. I think uh, Kansas pretty much sold out playing playing defense for the run that TCU really wasn't uh tricking it up down there they weren't I, I'm, I'm getting uh, me and Jeremiah are kind of the same I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of the the Shawa wildcat formation when it's short yardage because it seems like everyone knows what's coming and so now people are just killing that play um the, the the return of Patrick Morris can be big, but but Austin's done a fine job. Austin Austin was the center for two years before Patrick got hurt, and he's on the Remington list for for a reason. He's a he's a good offensive lineman, can play basically any spot on the offensive line he he wants to or wherever they need him. But I think it was more of a more of a Kansas just selling out to stop the run and maybe TCU just not being physical enough up front. But I will say this: even though that scoreboard said forty three to nothing and Kansas has struggled. They've actually played decent on the defensive side of the ball. Clint Bowen's done a pretty decent job uh, trying to help them play defense. I mean, they're, they're getting zero help from the offense right now for Kansas. If you look at last week, how they played against Iowa State, they had a lot of mistakes. And their defense has always just had their backs up against the wall. But it was pretty impressive for the for me to see them have that goal line stand against TCU. But moving forward, TCU can't let that happen against the teams like Iowa State and Texas and, and Oklahoma, some of these tougher games coming up on their schedule. But, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you uh, pointed that out because that was very disappointing for me, too, when I saw that they couldn't punch it in from that short of yardage. Yeah, and to be clear, there's nothing long, wrong with Austin. It's I want Patrick and Austin up there. I feel like with Patrick out that uh, – We've we've been missing a little strength there. I want I want both those guys up there at full strength. Austin is, is not is not doing it. He's doing his job. I want Patrick to be up there to do his job with. Him. And, you, and you might get your wish because because Gary said in the post game that Patrick might be back by by this week's game against Iowa State. So that would be a big boost. It's not only you know it's it's a ripple effect. If you don't have Patrick, then you have to move Austin over from guard. Then you have a backup guard coming in and playing. So obviously, if you have a healthy Patrick Morris out there, it's a great center. Then you can move Austin back to guard. Where he's playing real, he played really well the first few games of the season, especially up at Oklahoma State. Then you have a full strength offensive line, and I and I think when you have that rotation in there, you won't have those those stoppages at the goal line like they did last night against Kansas. That's good news. Look forward to uh, seeing Patrick out there soon, hopefully, because we're going to need every ounce of uh, beef we got to beat Iowa State. Does um Does anyone know why Song was not kicking that last um? Extra point. Because he missed it wide right. (laughs) (laughs) Is that really it? Because he missed it? I don't think Gary has a long leash for kickers. I mean, he's been saying all year long that, I mean, he's, he's got four kickers, but that's, that's not a good thing. Um, 
If you got it, four kickers, you got one. Yeah, pretty much. So if you have it, I don't think I don't, I don't think he's going to give those guys a long leash because you know Jonathan missed an extra point last week against against Kansas State, and so now he's missed one against Kansas, and you're just kind of thinking, okay, well. Maybe we need to get someone else in there. Maybe it's in his head. Jeremiah said in the press box, once they miss one extra point, it's like a, a, a guy playing golf. It gets in their head, and they think they're going to miss every extra point from that point on. And it was obviously in his head that he was going to miss miss the, the. There was one I can't remember if it was the second or third touchdown. He barely made the sucker. I mean, it was within yes. inches of the right upright. And I think I even told Jeremiah that he's going to miss one because he's he's kicking him to the right for whatever reason and sure enough he did and then Cole Bunce comes in there he's probably nervous as all get out and he comes in there and misses one so the kicking troubles are uh kind of starting to make us all a little nervous um and and hopefully you don't let that affect you going up into some of these tougher games that have remaining on the schedule yeah well, hey. at the Kansas State game I just kind of gave him a pass because they just come back from their second rain delay and they you know who knows Yeah exactly I did too so cuz but then yeah. he missed again and I thought good lord Yeah I mean that second delay that when they came back they had you know Jeremiah what they had like 5 minutes to warm yeah. up and they didn't have it they didn't have any t- and that's that's like seconds for a kicker. I mean, you're, you're staying in a locker room for that long a time. You come out and have a few times you can you can kick. Yeah, I, I didn't blame him, but last night I don't I don't think he had a good excuse. Well, the good thing is it you never have to make like a 43 yard field goal into the wind from the left hash to to make it to the college football playoff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, now now I'm nervous. Now I'm scared. Now I'm all hey, worked up. So Jonathan Song will figure it. Out. Seven for seven. That's right. That is correct. Seven for seven. That's right. That's right. And if we have to go for two and put Sean Nixon in the slot and have him come around on a reverse and throw the ball to make up for a misfield extra point, that's fine by me. That's a lot more fun. Hey, I will say something that was surprising that I didn't mention. I think we only saw one, honestly, one trick play from Meacham last night. Last night. One trick play where they ran a receiver reverse, and, the, and I can't remember. I think it was Sims was going to try to throw it, but he got tackled for a loss. That really surprised me that he didn't run more trick plays. I think they had like a just a plain reverse at some point, but like nothing like real tricky, just simple stuff that we took care of. Maybe that's the same one. I'm yeah, I didn't, even I, think, I didn't think it was a reverse pass until I saw the pictures. I was looking for some pictures for uh, some of the stories we did in post-game, and – I seen the I seen the kid running and it, he's holding up the ball like he's getting ready to throw it. But TCU read that play so well that I mean he didn't stand a chance. Yeah, I was expecting Chad Morris level of uh, tricky game planning, but nope. Well, you know the funny thing is we had so many tackles for a loss. I can't even remember which one you're referencing. <laughs> I'm, I'm not yeah, even being. Had- we had yeah. what, like three sacks in a row on one 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 of the drives. Yeah, when we had them pinned back in the south end zone, I thought we were going to have a safety. They had one where they wrapped him. It was on third down. They wrapped him up at the one, and you could tell everybody, just, like everybody on Kansas offensive line, just kind of was like, "No, no, no, it's not a safety, but we're done. We're leaving. We're going to the sidelines." And I was like, "Wow, we just we just pistol whipped them three straight plays." It, I remember on, our- on the broadcast. They cut to Meacham, and he looked like he was going through heroin withdrawals. It was pretty bad. <laughs> I remember what you are talking about because I, I had already topped up something on Twitter hoping that Kansas would get like a five-yard gain, and I already had something quipped up saying in that one play, Kansas has already gained more yards with that one play than they did the entire first half. But TCU kept pushing them back, and I was just thinking, wow, this is this is so bad for them, just so bad for Kansas. And, you know, I, I know Doug Meacham and – I know he uh, works pretty hard, and I, I kind of felt bad for him, man. Honestly, I really did. He doesn't have any guys that can execute right now. No, not at all. I feel bad for him too. Yeah, I feel bad for him, and and I, you know, I don't want to get into the journalistic eth- ethics of it all. But that picture that was posted of him sitting at the bottom of the stairwell behind mm-hmm. the media room—that was that was brutal. I mean, like I, I understand that, you know, he moved on and maybe there was a time for it all. And I'm grateful for what he did here, but man, he's just getting, he, he has nothing to work with. I think that's the easiest thing. He clearly understands offense and he has nothing, nothing to work with. That, that was a frustrating picture to see. I saw, I, I saw where that was suggested that that was actually before the game. No way. It's a joke. Oh, 
<laughs> I was like, man, well, now I am going to go That's how bad Kansas is. He's that miserable before the game. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Jeremiah, I want to give you the floor here before we move on. Anything else from the Kansas game that you want to highlight that's worth celebrating? You know, it, it's, it may seem like a small thing, but Taj Williams got in there, and uh, they went deep to him early, um, overthrew him a little bit. Uh, he ran hard all the way through his route. And then they come back to him later on, and he scores a 26-yard touchdown on a beautiful throw from Kenny. Um, it was really good to see Taj get in there. He gives you another weapon, another big, th- uh, big body, deep threat, and it's just something else for other teams to freak out about when they're watching film. So, you know, I, I'd love to see Taj get, you know, brought back into this offense. And I think he's got a place in this offense if he's he's corrected everything he needed to correct to get on the field more. And uh, when he, if he can execute like he did on Saturday night, that's just another wrinkle in the offense. So that caught my eye. I was glad to see him finally get to make a play. This is just a reminder, and, and don't at me that, uh, that recruiting uh, rankings mean everything. I, I get that. I get that they mean a lot. You got Taj, you've got Isaiah Graham, and you got Emmanuel Porter, all, all four stars by various services that are not on the field and we are lighting it up and we have kids that were lower ranked than them that are out there on the field. Of course, we have a couple guys that are higher ranked than them, but um, it is your ability to produce with the, it, the coaching and the development that you get and your desire to go make it happen. And I, I would love for them to see, to, to make it onto the field. It's like picking up a free agent. If one of those guys steps up and, and begins to make an impact this late in the season, I'd be all for it. But man, are we getting a lot of production out of our off, out of our wide receivers. I am so excited with what we're able to do. Dylan Thomas getting out there that was kind of fun to see i think it was mark cohen mr statistics that has the tcu has 22 different guys that have caught a pass this season that's incredible that's insane, that's insane. That, that is that is incredible that is incredible so all right well we are kind of at mid-season i know last week was technically week six or in terms of six games but uh kansas game was was six and a half but here we are after set we're seven and oh i want to take a moment here and kind of do some mid-season uh assessment we're gonna kind of go real quick here we'll go jeremy daniel and jeremiah i want to go in, in that order answer these th- three questions first one this this season has obviously exceeded expectations already and we still got a lot more to go what one thing do you point to that has helped us that was the trigger that got us to the point that we are exceeding expectations as a squad as a squad jeremy running the football they've got a strong running game they're strong up front experienced offensive line uh two good three good running backs uh and that's the big difference they're running the football more they're not trying to do these gimmick plays and they're setting the tone. That's, that's a, you can't win championships if you don't play defense or if you can't run the football. And that's one of the big things they're doing right now. They're doing both. They're doing both really well. Daniel, what have we done to exceed expectations? Hire Chris Thompson, because I agree that running the football is the key to all this, but I don't think we run it worth a crap without hiring Chris Thompson to drastically improve the offensive line. And that so that allows us to run the football, which controls the game, and that allows the defense to have a lot more rest, which allows them to be better. So overall, that's just had a ripple effect. Good call. Big, big, big hire. Jeremiah? I'm going to go with the revamped defensive line, uh, adding the size in the middle with Blacklock, the, the revelation of Corey Bethley as a true freshman, um, Banigou busting onto the scene, Boston looking better. They all look just bigger. Uh, you know, Bradley looks bigger and stronger this year. So, uh, the you know, Obviously, all three of us have come up with something different, and it just shows you how deep this team really is right now. But I've been really impressed with the revamped uh, defensive line. What I want to point to is is a larger theme, not just from this season, but we are able to receive transfers, bring them into the team, make them feel like they belong, and then watch them just kind of shine. John Diars, Kenny Hill, Ben Banigou, and then you add on top of that when we had guys like Aaron Green that were able to come in. Josh Dotson was a transfer. TCU is is the spot where everybody realizes, man, I wish I would have gone there from the beginning, and we don't hold it against them, and we bring them in, and we got those three guys, Kenny Hill and Ben and um, John D.R. Without those three, I don't know where we are, but we're 7-0, we're and zero, and we're number four in the country with them, and I think that points to the culture of this program that's able to bounce back and make guys feel like they belong to this program, and I'm really excited about that. 
that that points to to leadership in their ability to create culture from the top down. Son, probably Gary and Sonny together, and a lot of other guys that that are that are contributors to that. Jeremy, offensive MVP thus far this season. You can you guys are free to repeat yourself, so don't say somebody stole your thunder. Jeremy, who you got? I'm going to go with Kenny Hill because. Kenny's making great decisions this year. He's completing a lot of his passes. He's got 15 touchdowns, only three interceptions. The The way he's improved uh, going through his progressions, looking at the second, third, fourth option, he's running when he needs to. He hasn't tried to put the team on his shoulders. He's done everything that Sonny's Com- Sonny Conby has asked him to do. He hasn't tried to exceed expectations and make those mistakes. Yeah, he does have a couple times where he does still have the – the knucklehead Kenny throws where we're, we're watching him throw into coverage or watching him overthrow a ball or maybe just missing a wide open receiver. But you got to have some semblance of a passing game if the team's still out to stop the run. And that's what Kansas State did. He throws for almost 300 yards. Uh, I mean, he's, he's just really exceeded expectations for I, I, if you ask any person that covers TCU or just covers the Big 12 in general or even just college football. And you ask them, do you think Kenny Hill has improved? They're going to all tell you yes. I mean, this this kid has really uh, just just been pivotal in TCU's success on offense. Not only just they, they, they're running the football well, but I don't, I don't think without Kenny that this team is seven and zero right now. I don't, it, and it's so crazy to say because we were all talking about okay, well if TCU starts the season two and three or two and four, maybe we'll see Sean Robinson. And this guy's just gone out and proved everyone wrong, and it, it's so reminiscent of 2014 when everyone was kind of looking at Trevon Boykin. They're coming off a four and eight season. Is this really the quarterback TCU wants? Matt Jokel's coming in from A&M. He's going to give Boykin a run. He's probably going to start, but Boykin just proved all the doubters wrong. And that's exactly what Kenny Hill's doing right now. He's my MVP right now. I just want to say this without going on a chasing rabbits. I remember the summer of 2014 when we said basically Matt Jokel was here to be the bridge to Foster Sawyer. Yeah. A ton of, I remember a that. A ton of people did. And that's it. Look, look where we are now, man. And um, I'm, I'm really proud of Kenny. Daniel, who do you got for offensive MVP so far this season? Kenny Hill, uh, no doubt. Um, pretty much everything Jeremy said. Um, in fact, um, I didn't finish the fourth quarter because I left early to beat the weather, and I haven't gotten to finish watching it. Uh, on my DVR, but from what little bit I've seen, I, I had a realization that um, something that I never would have thought of last year, and I thought, man, I'm going to miss Kenny Hill. This stinks. So um, not that not that Sean Robinson's bad. It's just that Kenny Hill's so, so much better than we kind of realize um, because we had such a, a weird uh, season last year, and it, it's, just, it's just lights out. So no, no doubt in my mind, Kenny Hill. Jeremiah, are you going to go three yeah, for, for three? Yeah, for the trifecta, give me Kenny Hill hands down. I mean, I the thing with Kenny, um, I think more than anything this year is he's having fun again. And when you see him after the games, he he seems relaxed. He seems in complete control. Uh, he, he, look, he seems the same way on the field. Like, everything is clicking. He knows he's got so many different weapons at his disposal. He knows he doesn't have to force it. Um, he You know, he's, he's, play, <laughs> he's playing out of his mind right now. I mean, the last two weeks throwing the football – I mean, he threw for 278 last night and five touchdowns, and that was like in three and a half quarters worth of work. You know, this could have been a 400-yard game. He should have been a 400 at Kansas State if it wasn't for a couple of dropped long passes. So, um, you know, he's he's playing at a very high level right now, but I just love his poise, his maturity. It's really cool story. I mean, it's, it's a long way from being over, but it's to see him uh, turn around the way he has with the public image thing and uh, – he really is the leader of this team right now. And all the guys are looking at him like, you know, they're ready to follow him into battle. So it's been a really cool thing. So yeah, for me, Kenny Hill, hands down. I agree that it is Kenny Hill, but I'll just add a little caveat here for my, uh, for my nomination for MVP. I'm going to go with John DeArce. 
because anytime it's third and seven, I'm just like, throw the ball, John Diars. He's going to go up. He's going to catch it. He's going to knock some little DB down. He's going to show everybody what a man he is, and he's going to whisper in that DB's ear, go get your shine box. <laughs> I absolutely love John Diars. He is a he is he, he seems like he's such a high character man, but he is also the kind of guy that's like, you want some? Come and get it. You're, you're going to be sorry. The game will we'll fight you on the field. We'll fight you in the parking lot. I love John Diars. He is he has got the he he has got the moxie that we lacked last season, and he just he he has taken over leadership on this team in a way. That, but kind of with him and Kenny, they kind of feed off of each other. So I love me some John Diars as, as much as you guys are right about Kenny Hill being the MVP. All right, let's let's do this like an NFL fantasy draft. Let's do the reverse snake here. Jeremiah, I'll start with you. Defensive MVP for this season thus Man, far. Who do you got? That's my actually friend? a really tough question because. Like even like last night, they had eleven tackles for loss, four sacks, all of these incredible numbers. Not one player had more than five tackles in the game. So that just shows you how balanced they are on defense. But I'm gonna have to go with Ben Banigou just because of what he brings. I mean, even when he's not getting to the quarterback for the sack, he's uh, getting a lot of pressure and forcing the quarterback to get you know move in the pocket and be uncomfortable. So yeah, uh, you know, a good pass rush is the secondary's best friend. They've gotten to the quarterback a lot this year. Um, Banigou is one of the main reasons, so uh, I'll go with him. Yeah, he, that guy's done so much damage since he got here. Daniel, MVP for defensive side of the ball this far this year. Traven Howard, because I said so. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. That's another guy we're going to miss. You think about, man, who we're going to miss. We're going to miss Kenny. We're going to miss Traven Howard. Definitely. Jeremy, defensive side MVP. It's really tough because the the whole defensive line has played so well this year. But I'm with Jeremiah. I'm going to go with Ben Banigou. The guy has just brought a different element to the defensive line this year. He's a big guy, quick, strong, and he's an intimidator. I don't think linemen like to block that kid. And uh, or I should say, man, he's he's just he he's brought. Uh, not to downplay what Josh Carraway and James McFarland did last year for TCU, but between Ben and, and, and what Matt's doing, Matt Bolson's doing at defensive end this year, I mean, the, the pass rush is just, it's there. It may not show on the stat line, but they're getting hurries on the quarterback. And the two guys in the interior, just, you know, three guys, actually, Chris Bradley, Ross Blacklock, and, and uh, uh, Corey Bethley. I mean, those three guys have just really been bringing it. But Ben Banigou's the guy that kind of leads that defensive line, and I think that's the biggest reason, like Jeremiah said, if, if you have a strong defensive line and you're getting to the quarterback it makes the rest of the defense look good uh, and hopefully he sticks around for another uh year, another season with all this uh crazy draft talk from mel copper about him moving up these boards yeah mel copper needs to shut up and go get his hair done so I, I, I'll, ben's gonna stay for his senior year i would just add I, i'd echo everything that's been said you know i want to i want to give it to ross blacklock because i think he's done an amazing job. I, he's he has really lived up to, to as advertised. But I'm going to go with Nick Orr. Two in, two two interceptions, a couple of key interceptions this season. He's one of those sturdy three star D backs from DFW that Patterson knows how to coach up to get him into the weight room, get him into the classroom. Um, I mean, for 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 how we run the four two five. And man, that guy knows what he's doing. I am so impressed with Nick Orr. He's got good head. He's got good feet. He's always in the right spot, and he has contributed this season. He's the kind of defensive back that Gary Patterson has uh, really built this program around. So that's that's the guy I'm going to go with, um, as much as I echo everything that's been said so far. All right, last question as we move on here. When did you feel this season that this team is going to be special? Was there a, a moment, a highlight, a pivotal, uh, pivotal moment where you thought, oh, my gosh, these guys are going to have a breakthrough season? Jeremy? I'm going to have to say when they went up to Oklahoma State. I mean, they just went out there, laid it all out on the line. No one expected them to go into Stillwater and win that game. They haven't had success going to Stillwater since joining the Big 12. Never won up there before. And you got to look at the third quarter. That game was 37-17. They were totally dominating up to that point, the the number one uh, offense in the country. And it it was just, just going up to that game, just making that drive and how no one in Oklahoma was expecting TCU to not only win that game, but win the way they did. They totally dominated and other than Oklahoma State making it interesting late in the fourth quarter, I mean, TCU had their way pretty much on offense and defense the entire game. And that was the point right there where when I knew they could go up to Stillwater, Arkansas was a great win, 
but going up to Oklahoma State and, and winning the way they did when Oklahoma State was number six in the country, it not only gives you confidence, it not only gave me confidence for, for them uh, the rest of the way, I, I, I learned at that point that no matter what, no matter who's on the schedule, TCU can beat them. And it makes me nervous with them going up to Iowa State this week, but knowing what they were able to accomplish in Stillwater doesn't make me as nervous just because I know they've been there before. I know they've been in that hostile environment and I know this team is different, their experience, and, and they've learned so many things in the last three years. Most of the, this team's a, a senior lad team and, and those guys are uh, what leads this team to being seven and zero right now. Daniel, do you have a snapshot for uh, the turning point in the season when you knew we were going to, this was going to be special? Just like it was for me in 2014, uh, it is this year, is when we play Oklahoma State. Um, it just, that's when I knew, um, that, you know, that they really got something going on here. Uh, they weren't extremely tested up until then, but once, you know, taking down Oklahoma State, and they didn't just squeak it out, you know, it was pretty um, uh, dominant performance in, in a lot of ways. Um, it was... It was nice. Um, I don't, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> I lost my train of thought, so yeah. I'll just cut it. He's, rel- hey, he's reliving that wrong game. With that. He's 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 remembering all the great plays from the game, and he just can't he can't focus now. That's what it is. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. Probably focused on the TCU Showgirls. Um. I can't deny that that hasn't happened. <laughs> well, all about awkward transitions. Jeremiah? Well, I don't – I mean, I hate to say the same exact thing that both the, both the other guys said, but I don't know how it can be anything other than the game in Stillwater because uh, we thought they were good. The win in Arkansas was nice, but we still weren't sure. Um, with that win in Arkansas, I mean, you took two late scores to get it done, but – if they don't fumble on the three and, and, and Rager hauls in that touchdown pass, you're looking at a 42-10 to 10 type game. And then I'm, maybe I would be calling it the Arkansas game. But I still wasn't sure after that game. So I would say Oklahoma State answered any questions that we had. Uh, could they go on the road in the Big 12 against a tough opponent? Could they stop a high-powered you know, passing offense like what the Cowboys have? And it was a resounding yes on, on all those things. So I'm just I, – I, it's got to be that game, and I feel like – as good as they played in that game, I think the defense just keeps getting better and better. So uh, that was a turning point for me. Um, and I, you know, I, like I said, I'd like to be original, but I just I don't know how it could be anything else. Yeah, there were so many things in that game that I, I remember as significant. The we basically bleeded the first quarter out. We did not allow them to jump out and get you know 17 points in the first quarter, 21 points in the first quarter. I know that uh, Rudolph connected with Washington, but we were able to throw them off their game, and that's what you have to do in a game like that: is kind of run the clock out and, and dictate the terms of the agreement. And we were able to do that. You also had you know how many defensive linemen had an interception or a fumble recovery in that game. That is something that just it just doesn't happen without you know making the most of every opportunity you get, being coached up to handle something like that. I know turnovers have an element of luck, but they also have a, a, a an element of making the most of the opportunity that's presented to you. So you know those those were some pretty cool moments in in my mind in that game that really said, hey, we might get some breaks, and this team's got the talent, 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 talent to really, really take advantage of them. Well, let's move on here. We've got uh, three three games from the Big 12 I want to talk about, so feel free to, to chime in with anything on this. We've got Oklahoma, o, uh, Kansas State, OU wins basically on the final play of the game. Uh, Texas, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State does win on the final play of overtime, and Iowa State goes to Lubbock and blows the doors off of Texas Tech. Let's look on those first two for sure. Did you guys get to catch any of the OU uh, K-State game or any of the Texas OSU game? We caught most of the uh, end of the Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Kansas State game, and I watched. You guys know I, I mean, come on, man, you know I watched the Oklahoma State Texas game because I was giving you guys all kinds of messages how Oklahoma State was just trying to lose that game. Uh, it was, it was crazy. You know, oh, Texas. I give Texas credit. They played. They played good defense, and that, that's one one side of the ball that they have just really. And they should be. They've got so many experienced guys on the defensive side of the ball that have been playing since they were true freshmen. So the defense should be good for Texas. Um, but they're they're playing really good on that side of the ball, and I was really surprised that they held Oklahoma State to 13 points on the day. And and it was kind of it. It was frustrating because it looked like and. and 
you guys can agree or disagree with me, but in the third or fourth, third and fourth quarter, it looked like Oklahoma State was really playing not to lose instead of to win. It was it was like they you have one of your uh, one of the top quarterbacks in the country in Mason Rudolph. And at your disposal, and you're still handing the ball off, and Texas is just smashing the run. So I was really surprised by by Oklahoma State's play calling in the fourth quarter, not trying to be aggressive and, and try to win the game. But I understand where you know where they're at. They're still vying for a Big 12 championship berth. They've only got one loss in conference, so you kind of got you kind of got to play it safe there. But that was the more surprising game uh, for me, just how well Texas played Oklahoma State. And uh, kept their points down, down, you know, to the lowest they've had all year. But Kansas State was pretty surprising too. And it just, it's, it's every week these these scores kind of surprise me. I, number one, after TCU did such a great job shutting down Kansas State last week, they they go out and just roll against Oklahoma. I think Jeremiah, what did they have in the first quarter rushing the football? Two hundred something yards? Is that what in the stat the first was? Half, I believe it was two hundred and something yards of. Of total offense or rushing offense, I can't remember. And that's it was more it was more rushing offense than TCU gave up total yards in their game against them. See, that's just crazy. I mean, it, so you look at those two games, and it's kind of surprising. But it's I think the Big Twelve is the best it's ever been since TCU joined the conference, as far as parity goes. I think it really is a league that, no matter what, yeah, no matter who you're playing. You can you can sneak up and get a win. I mean, West Virginia almost lost to Baylor. They almost let Baylor come back and get the win. So, I mean, Daniel was <laughs> almost did. very very mad Saturday night, even though TCU had a great win. Daniel was going to be very ticked off if that happened. I mean, West Virginia was putting it on him, and the Baylor just comes back. I didn't see any of the game. I just saw the score, but that just that just shows you the kind of parity. But and in Iowa State, I I mean, we've been on the Iowa State bandwagon for. Uh, the last year and a half with especially just because of Matt Campbell and his coaching staff Matt Campbell's just one of those coaches is you know he just gets it he's going to be a guy that a lot of these bigger you know power five conference schools are going to come in and try to yank him out of Ames and and, and there's they would be smart to do that because he's such a great coach and the fact that he's got Iowa State at top 25 right now uh, five and two on the year I mean it's just a testament of the kind of coach he is and, and they're they're her really, really good-looking program. Yeah, they are. Having watched Oklahoma against Iowa State and then Oklahoma against Kansas State, there's two words that give me at least some confidence when we go to Norman in a couple weeks. Mike Stoops. Their defense is a sieve. Now, I know Baker Mayfield can light it up, and I like Andrews and I like Sermon. I think they've got a lot of ability. But, man, that defense on the side of, uh, of, of Oklahoma, they're only going to go as far as their defense can take them, and I don't think their defense is going to be able to take them that far. Did you, did you watch the, the, the interception? Did you guys see the interception that Ellinger threw at the end of overtime? Did, you, did anybody understand what he was trying to do? Um, the problem is he's probably concussed from uh, I think he absolutely was concussed, and I'm not just saying. Like, I really why. he has a concussion. I think that's yeah. back-to-back oh, yeah. weeks. He's sustained a concussion, and he shouldn't be playing right now. If you if you guys look no. in the fourth quarter, there's a play where he's running, and they tackle him on the sideline, and he lays there for a minute. It's like he, he didn't know where he was for a second because it took him a second to even get up and run back to the – I was even thinking he was out. He just kind of laid there for a few seconds, and he finally gets up. But I thought he was trying to throw the ball away, but obviously he didn't put enough on it. But I mean, I still think I still think he's going to be a really really good quarterback the next few years. If he survives, <laughs> sounds like a movie. If he survives, <laughs> if he survives, yeah, I agree. He is going to be a great quarterback someday. But and I think he's a good quarterback now. But man, he's he's offering his body up to Tom Herman. I, mean, and I just don't that know that that's a fair exchange. So. I was, he gets kissed for it. Oh, <laughs> he does. Well, maybe if he gets a grill. If he gets a grill, maybe it'll all be worth it. So, I know he's a baller. I know, I know he can't. I know he's been, he was kind of born into the Longhorn family, and I get that and I respect that. But man, he has he has just taken a beating these last two weeks, and I hate that. You know, a kid that's playing beat up. I'm not gonna. I don't know if he was concussed. I mean, if he if he was playing beat up. 
that's uh, that's just not wise, man. I, I, that does not make you a baller. Sometimes that makes you uh, somebody that needs to take a pause. So I hope I hope he's taking care of himself because he's got a great future in front of him. Well, the Frogs are going to Ames this week, and I remember watching the game in 2011 where the Frog, where uh, Oklahoma State went to Ames and gave up their national championship opportunity by getting beat by a six and six Paul Rhodes Iowa State team. Well, this is not a six and six Paul and Rhodes team. This is a team that is in the top 25 that Matt Campbell has uh, getting the most out of them. They beat Oklahoma. They beat resoundly beat Texas Tech. What is it going to take for the Frogs to beat the Cyclones and Ames? And can you believe that this game is, is as big as it is? What do you guys I, think you know, about I, that? Anybody, I think I'd love to hear from it's you. It's awesome for Iowa State. I mean, it's really cool to see them uh, kind of to, to elevate their program to where it is right now. And what's, what's interesting about it is it's always been a tough place to play. Their fans have always showed up even when they weren't any good. So you know the fans are going to be really, really loud, and, and uh, it's going to be a great atmosphere um, but you know, I think the biggest thing that I've seen, just the limited amount of film that I've been able to, to go back and watch on any of their games, man, they play hard. I mean, you're not, you're not talking about, I know this may sound cliche, but it's, it's a bunch of guys that have bought into what their, their coaches is, is preaching and they're playing hard for him. He doesn't have a bunch of highly rated guys. I will tell you what he does have this year. He's got two big, big JUCO defensive tackles. TC was in on those guys late last year. Ray Lima, uh, big 310-pounder JUCO transfer. And another, uh, I don't know how to say the other guy's name, but he's another 325-pounder. And that's been a big difference on their defensive line. Um, that's two full-grown men that they didn't have last year. Uh, but I just, I'm just so impressed with how physical they are. They just hit you in the mouth, and they just keep playing. They're, they run the ball hard. They're just Joe Lanning is really fun to watch. Um, I mean, it's just it's a really cool team to watch right now. Uh, TCU's gonna they're gonna have to earn that win when they go there. But I think they're gonna win the game. But it's gonna be a it's gonna be a battle. It's gonna be a lot of fun to watch. They're they're very physical on defense. Joe Lanning is a fun guy to watch. I mean, he's he's playing Ironman football right now. It's pretty impressive to watch him play linebacker and still go over there and play some quarterback. But he's a he's the leader of that defense. I mean, they're just a, a very physical group. They're very smart. I mean, they are just. It reminds me just of, of a bunch of coaches' kids out there because they don't get fooled. It's very tough to fool them and get them out of place. So I don't I don't see them falling for any kind of trick plays or a lot of misdirections or the jet sweeps that TCU runs. Uh, offensively, they've got Alan Lazard, big receiver. He's probably one of the top three uh, receivers in the Big 12, but it's not only him. The, their offense reminds me kind of of an offense like SMU or even Oklahoma State or West Virginia. They've got not only Lazard, they've got that little slot receiver. I can't remember his name, number 19. They've got Butler, which is another 6'4", 6'5", receiver. They've got Murdoch, that's, that's another good possession receiver. Montgomery's a good running back. The quarterback's playing really well for them right now. Their offensive line gives them all kinds of time, and, and – uh, this team's five and two for a reason. They beat number three Oklahoma for a reason. I mean, they they play smart football, and uh, like Jeremiah said, it's 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 a testament of their coach Matt Campbell. They they play basically how their uh, coach coaches. I mean, it's just like Gary Patterson and TCU. They're aggressive. Uh, they 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 fly to the ball and, and do all the things that the, their coach wants them to do, and that's what Iowa State does. Iowa State just just buys into everything that Matt Campbell and his staff have have coached them the last two years. Well, the Frogs and the Cyclones are on national television, 2.30 ABC. If you're outside of the region, you'll have it on ESPN2. Hopefully, the Frogs are going to be able to get a big win. We'll look forward to talking about that next week. But this is, this is kind of the second half of the season, this run here where we've got Iowa State, Texas, OU Tech. And I know we got Baylor. I'm not forgetting that. But these four games, this is it. This, this determines whether we're going to the Alamo Bowl or going to the Rose Bowl. This is going to be a great opportunity for the Frogs, and I'm really looking forward to following this team. And I just kind of want to give this editorial comment. The rankings are going to come out in a week or so here from the College Football Committee. I swear, don't live and die by this crap. 
enjoy this season. The Horned Frogs are 7-0. and We were predicted to come in 5th or 6th in the Big 12. Just enjoy this. Enjoy this. Watch this game. Cheer on this team. Take delight in this game that we love and the school that we love. And don't live or die whether Joel Klatt puts us at 3rd or 4th. And don't get onto a fight with Penn State fans like I did today about <laughs> who should be ranked higher. Just enjoy this season because, man, this is a heck of a lot of fun. This is a heck of a lot of fun. Well, let's flip over to recruiting here. we got some questions from the board and from Twitter that I want to throw at you guys. Jeremy, Jeremiah, I'm going to just kind of do some quick hits here. Tell us a little bit, Jeremy. We had a big group of recruits on campus on Friday, on Saturday night. Uh, first, we had an official visit from Jalen Wallen. Is that, yes. Waddell, is that correct? Tell us a little bit about his uh, about who he is and maybe what you've heard about his experience on campus. Well, I mean, he's one of the top recruits in the nation. He's a receiver four-star receiver and, and yeah, they would take him. I mean, everyone's going to ask questions that because TCU has so many receivers committed already, would they take Waddle? Of course they would. I mean, he's a difference maker. He's, he's a Turpin type player. He might be the best slot receiver in the country. I mean, he's just that, just that talented. And, and the good thing for the frogs right now, kind of working in their favor is his relationship with Tay Barber. Um, he, he and Tay are really close. Uh, and both of them were hanging out pretty much the whole time. Uh, at the game Saturday from when I saw them before the game. And uh, it's it's kind of tough to get his thoughts right now. He's not real big on the whole interview process. I think he's been burned in the past by some guys, uh, some of these recruiting reporters. But uh, from every estimation I've gotten from people close to the program is that he really likes TCU a whole lot. He wouldn't even be up there visiting if he didn't. Um, TCU in his, is in his top six for a reason. And uh, he's listening really closely to them. Alabama's going to be the team to beat here. Florida State's kind of on the outside looking in now. But it could be one of those situations. He's got a top six right now. It could be to where he narrows, narrows it down to a final three. And I firmly believe TCU's going to be in that mix. Uh, but Alabama's going to be the tough one to beat for him. One of the other guys that we had on campus out of the Houston area was uh, – uh, Grant Gunnell, quarterback out of St. Pius X. I, first of all, I was shocked that he's on campus. He's an Aggie commit. He's a 2019 kid. He is a highly rated quarterback. Um, were you shocked to find out he was on the visitor list? And is there any real interest here? Because I know people. Yeah, I mean know. there there is. Uh, I know there was no shock for my for my part because it was kind of funny. It, it, a few months ago when we went out to the Prime 21 camp, I had a chance to to talk with Grant's dad. And, and Grant has never came out and said that he's soft with a, his A&M commit or anything like that or if he's looking around. But I, I, but I did find something interesting that his dad told me is that Sonny still recruits Grant pretty heavily. And they were still listening pretty heavily, even though he was committed, because they liked the relationship they have with Sonny. And that was one of those things where they were always going to kind of continu- continually watch what each of those programs are doing. And, and right now, TCU has – no 2019 commits for quarterback. They really haven't targeted a lot of kids and, and offered them. They just offered a kid out of Rockwall on Friday, Jacob, Jacob Clark, which is a player that is really coming out from under the radar, 6'5", 210. But uh, Grant has been on their radar since he was a freshman, and he's built that relationship with Sonny during that time. He's got a, a good you know, two- or three-year-long relationship. The whole family does with Sonny. And I think it's kind of opening the way TCU is just – come onto the scene this year. Sonny's making great play calls and Sonny's just probably the most genuine coach he can meet in college football. He's just really, really down to earth, nice guy. So it doesn't surprise me one bit that Grant probably at uh, the wish of Sonny just said, Hey, we'd really love you to come up here and take a look at us and just come see a game. And Grant's going to, he's going to, he's going to do that for Sonny. And I think they're, uh, even if you do see some kind of reports that, Say, say Grant is 100% solid to A&M, watch what they do and not what they say. He came up here to TC for a reason because he does have some sort of interest in him. Who else from the 2019 class was on campus that's worth noting? Because that's a that's a whole other wave of recruits. We've got you know a, a solid amount of kids committed to this class. We're going to talk about that in a second. Who else from 2019 is somebody that we should keep an eye on that you know maybe is on commitment watch, maybe is about to get an offer, or who I whose eyes kind of lit up when they got on campus Saturday night? Well, I know Jalen Curry is one of those guys that he hasn't got an offer from TCU, but he's kind of been on their radar. He's 
he's at uh, St. Pius now too with Grant. And so that's probably the reason why he was up here. But Florida State's is where he's been committed to for a few months now. And, and you obviously got to look at what Florida State's doing right now. They're two and four. They're really not, uh, you know, blowing things up on the offensive side of the ball. So when you have a place that's closer to home and, and you got your own quarterback from your school looking at the program as well, it's kind of going to open your eyes a little bit. I think TCU will if, – if if they haven't offered Curry, I think they will soon. Um just because he's putting up humongous numbers down there at St. Pius right now. And, and uh, I've seen Jalen Curry play seven on seven. He's, he's incredible. He's just a really good receiver. He's been a pretty good receiver ever since his, his freshman year, but I'm trying to think of any other 2019s I saw, you know, uh, Jalen Catalan was there. That's BJ Catalan's cousin. He's one of the top defensive backs in the country. Uh, it kind of helps when you have a cousin that was a pretty good running back at TCU not too long ago. Uh, Donovan Collins Mansfield, was there. Right? Yeah, Mansfield Legacy. Donovan Collins was there. He's obviously committed to TCU. Um, DeSoto had some kids there. You know, TCU X receiver Cameron White was up there. He brought some kids up there. I didn't physically see Levante Chenault uh, on campus, but uh, I, I do know he was supposed to be there. And, and TCU is one of those schools that he really likes a lot. Uh, trying to think of any others that I might have missed that are that I'm just forgetting right now that I did see. Hey, Jeremy. Remember the, there was an interesting 2018 kid there that was committed to another school. Um, I don't know how you say his last name, if it's Mutton or Mutant, I'm Mutton. but yeah. I'm a big fan. The linebacker from Klein Collins is committed to Houston. Um, if you guys have not watched this film, go watch him. He's a freaking heat-seeking missile. So I don't know if they're going to take another linebacker or not, but he was there and he was chatting it up with the TCU coaches. They were really interested Showing him a lot of uh, attention, and he's a he's a big time player. He's no, he doesn't have the ranking as some other guys, but that dude's legit. He's one of the uh, he's one of the guys that they had up for one of the summer camps that they really wanted to take a hard look at. Uh, and, and I know that's the really the only reason he was up there. He was up there trying to you know impress the coaches enough to get an offer, and it was one of those situations where. If he did impress him enough and they did offer him, he was probably going to commit on the spot. Uh, his film is is obviously better than what I saw on the camp. He's 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 not slow, but he's not real fast. He's not he's he's kind of you guys heard me tell the story about the Montreal Wilson. That's what our linebackers look like now. Mutton was the guy Coach Patterson was kind of referring to. You know, looking at the size difference and stuff like that. They they look at those those linebackers that are that size still, um, but they're also going to look at those Ben Wilson types that are 6'2", 220, and can run as well. But I, I was surprised to see him there as well, Jeremiah. I mean, that that obviously they didn't invite him up there for nothing. Uh, so it's that's one of those things that's going to be kind of interesting to watch here in the next few months as they kind of look for more guys. He's really filled out too. I mean, he's two fifteen, two twenty, but he's maybe five eleven, six foot, maybe six foot. Um, but he's he's a pretty solid looking kid. Yep, yeah, he is. I, I like. I mean, I think they can uh, definitely use another linebacker for this class. Well, that's good info right there. Those are the, that's the reason you listen to the end of this podcast. That's why we put recruiting at the end. Um, couple other questions here. Jamar Chase, are we still in any conversation with him? I know that you guys think Hunt is better than Chase, but are we still in any connection with him? And is, or is he going to shake free at all, especially with Florida's uh, less than stellar offense this season? Yeah, they're recruiting him still. He's going to come up for an official visit. I don't know what day it's going to be, but I know they're trying to get a lot of recruits up for the Texas game. Uh, for official visits, not only their commitment committed kids, but the kids that are kind of high on their list. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, Chase isn't one you know would be one of those guys. Um, if if he doesn't make make it up for that weekend, I'm sure he's going to make it up at some point. I I do know TCU still recruiting him. Okay, good to know, good to know. And then of course the the never ending saga, Willie Allen. I'm gonna I'm not going to make you put a percentage on this. Is it at this point? Is it more likely or unlikely that he gets an offer? <laughs> That's a tough question. I know people keep asking about it, and so I really want them to listen 
right now. <laughs> Perk up, okay. turn up, tur- turn up through volume on. For you know, a change, uh, listen jump, to what is being said. <laughs> jump off the treadmill for a second, because so, for some reason people keep missing it. Even when we, when we talk about it on here and we post it on the board, I know people love Willie Allen. Trust me, okay. They they feel like TCU owes an offer to him because he tweeted all the love for TCU. He's a great big offensive lineman. Willie is a good kid, okay? He's a good kid. But they're not just going to offer Willie just because they want to offer Willie. I mean, it's one of those things. That, that's what makes the comment about uh, from LSU about TCU tampering so asinine. Because if they were really tampering, don't you think they would have offered him by now? Well, I don't know. You're going to offer TCU and you're going to go there. Yeah. That was, that was Coach O, sorry. Yeah, well, Coach, I mean, do you, do you, don't you think they would have offered him by now if they were really tampering? But that's the thing. They want, he, he's coming off a, a, an injury that he had down there. So they want to see how he's going to develop. They're not just going to offer him. If, he, if, if Willie Allen's down there at Tyler Junior College and he's giving up two sacks a game, is he worth an offer? I'm not saying he's giving hold up on, two hold sacks on. a game. Hold on, hold on. Let me stop. I'm hold not on, saying he's giving up two sacks a game, but I'm just saying, do they you, want TCU to offer Willie Allen because his name's Willie Allen or because they they really think TCU needs to offer him? Two times ago, you said Woody Allen, not Willie Allen. That's probably just my speech impediment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I hope everybody listened to that because Willie, man, uh, we, we hope you get an offer and uh, – we hope. More importantly, we hope you nothing. We wish you nothing but the best. All right, a couple more quick questions. We're going to wrap this thing up. We're coming up on an hour. Twenty eighteen class is currently sitting at twenty commits. Summarize the remaining needs and identify the top targets at maybe each position. Who are the three or four guys and the remaining needs that we have and where they might match up? Uh, uh, TAC eighty one says he's asked this the last three weeks and it hasn't gotten answered. So I thought I'd go ahead and ask it. Break it down, Jeremiah. You caught me. Hey, you caught me with my thing on mute. Sorry about that. Um, ah, you put me on the spot too. Uh, I know that they are probably done at linebacker. I mean, we mentioned um, mutant or mutton. That would be a surprise to me. Um, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it's interesting. I'm wondering if they would consider taking another quarterback in this class. That may be something that they'll look at. Um, I'm still interested to see what they're going to do at running back like a true running back. Um, other than that, I don't know. I still don't know the number they're going to take. I don't think it's going to be 25. I think it, what do you think, Jeremy, maybe 23 or 24? It's going to be close to a full class. I mean, it, every, every time we hear a certain number, it always increases. So, I mean, heck, we might as well just throw 25 out there. You never know. I mean, just <laughs> no, coach, I, I can coach see how many you take this year. I don't know. I, 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 I can tell you right now, Speed, baby. if it's a, a, dom, a dominant defensive tackle, they'll take one. If they can't find a dominant defensive tackle, they're not going to take a project there. It's going to be a dominant player or not none at all. So that's that's the word we've heard on that. Um, so I could see another – if a Waddle wanted to commit another receiver, um, maybe another O-line. But uh, defensive tackle for sure. Um, I don't know. As far as corner goes, Jeremy, what have, what have you heard on corner? Corner, I think they're. I mean, after they didn't get Deshaun, I mean, there's there's really not a you know a big time target that they're going after now. I'm sure if Deshaun said that he wanted to still hear from TCU, or <laughs> I yeah, I think it's I think they should try to invite invite Deshaun up to the uh, Texas game. You know, just let him see. Let them see that game in action, and if TCU does as well, if they as they've done in the past, then that might open Deshaun's eyes a little bit more. Um, I do think they have uh, a need there at corner. The top target right now, it's probably going to be a JUCO guy. I know they're going to look at some some JUCO guys this class. There's there's probably not a huge need, but kind of a need at linebacker still. There's nothing wrong with Ben Wilson. Don't don't ask me questions about that on the board, fellas. There's nothing wrong with Ben Wilson. Um, I just asked the question in passing uh, up at Kansas State if there was any uh, any uh, need for a linebacker, and they said yes. So uh, corner, 
probably not a high priority defensive tackle. Jeremiah nailed it. I mean, they're only going to take a take a big name player if they can get them. Running back is another position that I think they really need to get a true running back. Not to take anything away from Henry, but he's probably kind of like a Kennedy Snell right now for them. Not going to carry the ball 15, 20 times a game. Um, the guy that I know that they're still recruiting, I'm not going to mention his name yet, but he is he is a bigger running back and true running back that they're probably going to try to get on campus here within the next few weeks. Jamar Chase is a guy that is obviously committed to Florida, but they're going to still go after uh, Ardarius Washington. I know someone asked about him. I still think they're recruiting him pretty good. I don't think he's a silent commit. I think someone had mentioned maybe he's a silent commit, just hasn't made a announcement pub- publicly yet about him switching. But I, I do know that uh, TCU still recruiting him, and he's at least listening. So safety would be – uh, one one of the positions to uh, keep an eye out for, but I think they got 20 right now. Finished with 25, and just see how everything works out. They'll figure out the numbers after they sign the class. That's how it usually happens. Well, that's a that's a heck of a lot of recruiting information right there, folks. If you don't uh, get something out of that, I don't know what to give you. We've kind of exhausted all of our questions here, other than a. Uh, Marcel Brooks, he's on permanent commitment watch. Is that right, Jeremiah? Is that what you said? Uh, I mean, I think so. I, he, I don't. I'm not saying he's going to commit to TCU, but I'm saying right now, I think TCU's in, as is in as good a shape as anybody. Um, so I keep an eye on that. I mean, it could it could go down at any time. I mean, he's uh, he really does like the frogs a whole lot, and that feeling is definitely mutual. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to hear. I'll be really interested to see if we can start to build up this 2019 class. Well, folks, that we're going to bring this. That, that was sort of an avalanche, getting a guy like Marcel Brooks. I mean, Donovan Collins is a great uh, start to the class, but getting a guy like Marcel Brooks, just a, a, a guy that's that known. I mean, he's very active on Twitter, and everyone knows who he is. Everyone knows who he has offers from. But he's regarded as one of the top prospects in the country, and, and he really likes TCU. And, and Coach Patterson, you hear about Coach Patterson flying around in his helicopter going to see these games. His first trip in that helicopter was going to Flower Mount Mar- or L.D. Bell when Flower Mount Marcus was playing there so he could go see Marcel Brooks. That's how much, like, that's how much Coach Patterson likes Brooks. I like Brooks too. I'll be. I, I hope we can land him. I think he would be an avalanche. I think he would kind of tip the scales to begin to start a rush here on the 2019 class, which is already already approaching. So, well, guys, we're going to wrap this episode up. This is over an hour here. We appreciate everybody that has listened. If you haven't yet, go on iTunes and subscribe to the Frogcast and maybe give us a five star rating. We would love that. You can track us down on iTunes, on Google Play, and as always, we post this on hornfrogblitz.com. If you're not a member of hornfrogblitz.com, what in the world are you waiting on? This is what we talk about every single day. So if you live in Bree TCU football, recruiting, inside information, banter with, uh, with unqualified experts like myself, you would, you've got to join Horn Frog Blitz, member of the 24-7 CBS sports community. It's a heck of a lot of fun and something that you need to be a part of. And the Frogcast is so glad to be a part of this as well. We're going to bring this to an end, guys. Thank you so much. And so for Daniel, for Jeremy, and for Jeremiah, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thank you so much for listening to the Frogcast. <laughs>